Welcome to the What We Lost podcast. COVID was not the only force causing global upheaval across the spring and summer of 2020. In May 2020, George Floyd was murdered by a white police officer and ignited Black Lives Matter protests around the world. Like many other organizations around the world, We Charity was forced to re-examine its own conduct and policies. I'm Martin Luther King III, and this is the What We Lost podcast. Listen as Tafik Rangwala takes you inside the process he helped lead as a former board member. BIPOC Reckoning COVID was not the only force causing global upheaval across the spring and summer of 2020. On May 25th, on a nondescript Minneapolis street, a white police officer named Derek Chauvin knelt on the neck of handcuffed George Floyd for nine minutes and 29 seconds, murdering him. It was an act of violence viewed with horror and outrage across the globe. Thanks to Darnella Frazier, the brave 17-year-old who recorded the entire incident on her smartphone. The video sparked Black Lives Matter BLM protest that got bigger day by day. In cities and towns across North America and in at least 60 other countries, millions of people came together to demand change. As a partner in a large U.S. law firm and a member of its Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, I understood that BLM and the circumstances surrounding Floyd's death required a lot of introspection and dialogue. What happened to George Floyd forced us all to take stock of systemic racism in society and examine the role we need to play in combating it certainly with respect to the treatment of black people, but also with respect to discrimination faced by BIPOC people more generally. I must admit, however, that I did not expect We Charity to face allegations of racism or racial insensitivity, even with the coverage of the CSSG fiasco expanding every day. After all, equity and inclusion were central planks in the organization's programming at home and abroad. The charity was led by a BIPOC woman, Executive Director Dalal Awahadi, and the chair of the U.S. board was a renowned BIPOC educator, Dr. Jacqueline Sanderlin. Then the other shoe dropped. Speeches and Town Halls On June 16, 2020, Amanda Maitland, a former WE employee, posted a 17-minute video to her Instagram account detailing her time working at WE Charity in 2018 and 2019. She talked about being part of a WE school's anti-racism tour in Alberta in 2019 when she spoke to hundreds of kids about her own experiences with discrimination. It was a heavy burden, she said, to share her personal story with honesty and transparency, and in turn, 
to create space for the kids she was with to talk about the racism they too had experienced. She thought she was having great impact and facilitating an important conversation. But she also felt the organization didn't fully appreciate what it meant for a black woman to bear that responsibility. For her, this lack of appreciation manifested in a particular experience where, during a brief return trip to Toronto, in the middle of the tour, she was handed a revised speech to deliver. There was no phone call. There was no email, Maitland said in the video. There was no dialogue or heads up that the team on the back end felt the need to change my speech. That team, she said, was made up mostly of white men and women, and she felt they had taken her lived experiences, her words, and watered them down. She described it as oppressive. This is why it's so important, she said, for people of color, for people who have different lived experiences to be in the room. Maitland said she wanted to have a dialogue and wanted to see a real shift. I'm asking you to show us what changes you're willing to implement. Her video wasn't only about the speech. She also described a 2019 company town hall with Mark and about 50 other employees that was convened to address a negative media report about workplace culture at the organization. I saw the culture of fear, Maitland said in her video, describing remarks she made at the town hall. And one thing that I said was that so many people are having siloed conversations, that they are so scared to talk to people in positions of power where true change can get implemented. And the whole room was agreeing with me. But at that moment, she said, Mark stepped forward and shut her down in an instant. And in shutting her down, he also shut down the other 50 people in the room. People were scared to talk. And this is what happens constantly over and over and over again. But we need to break that fear. As people of color, we need to break our fear. Listening to Maitland's story was jarring for me on many levels. It was institutionally jarring because I had thought We Charity was doing a reasonably good job on issues of equity, inclusion, and adversity. Even a hint of racism would be damaging to a youth charity that works in schools and engages in international development. And such allegations could be fatal for the organization if they were found to be true. It was also personally jarring because I'm a person of color and very active in the legal fight against systemic racism. So the allegations were unsettling to hear and if borne out, would have been devastating to me. It was one thing to hear politicians, pundits, and journalists spin things to create a narrative around the charity and the CSSG. This was different. I had a very personal interest in seeing her charges fully and properly investigated and addressed. A few days after Midland posted her video, Dalal reached out to her via email. She offered to facilitate a discussion with Jacqueline Sanderlin. 
Dr. J was a lecturer and consultant on diversity and inclusion, and the former executive director of the school and community engagement in the Southern California school districts of Compton and Inglewood. In my experience, and that of most who have met her, she is a person who brings wisdom and a sense of purpose to every conversation. Maitland did not respond. On June 18th, Dr. J and Delau posted to the charity's website an open letter outlining the organization's commitment to ending racism and empowering communities. We was founded on the simple but essential idea of bringing people together, of embracing and supporting one another, and of overcoming barriers together, the statement began. While noting that we firmly supported inclusion and diversity, Dr. J. and Dalal acknowledged that like all organizations, it had to constantly challenge itself to confront and overcome inherent bias. To that end, they announced that the board of directors, the co-founders, and the senior leadership team had committed themselves to a series of actions, including prioritizing We Schools programs in underserved communities, creating anti-racism educational resources, recruiting more BIPOC employees, and initiating a listening tour by We Charities Management to make sure concerns were being heard. At the heart of the effort, they said, is the need to pay close attention to what our team members have to say about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and what we can do better. Unfortunately, the response on social media and elsewhere was quite negative, and a number of people accused Dalal and Dr. J, both women of color, of essentially being puppets for the Killburgers. For example, former employee Rhea Carey, who had hosted a live video cast with Maitland a few days after her initial Instagram post, replied, yet no people of color on your executive teams, to an Instagram post from Craig Killberger, seemingly negating the existence of Delau, Dr. J, CFO, Victor Lee, and others. Another commenter said, hire a BIPOC woman to lead, not just to educate you on something you've had years to learn. I was really, really upset, Delau told me. Rest assured, I'm not a puppet. And if I didn't believe in the message that I put online, I wouldn't have put it out. It was a demoralizing experience, she said, and I felt there was so much hypocrisy in it because as a BIPOC woman, they were tearing me down. One week after Dalal and Dr. J posted the open letter, the CSSG launched. As we became the focus of increasing public criticism, Maitland's video gained new attention. And within days, she was appearing in national news stories by CBC, and CTV. These stories recounted not just what had happened with her speech, but also her attempt back in 2019 to be heard on Wee's overall workplace culture at the town hall with Mark. 
CTV's headline was Racialized Former We Employees Accused Charity of Oppressive Incidents. In the body of the article, Maitland is quoted as saying, Mark, silence me completely. To be like, we heard you, we got your email, you tried to reach out, enough. She said there was a clear problem within the organization with silencing the voices of people of color. And the article referenced another former employee who described Wee's culture as deeply oppressive. The CBC article was almost identical. It reported that when Maitland tried to speak up about some of the problems within the organization at a Wee town hall, a few months after her tour, she was aggressively shut down by WE co-founder Mark Kilberger in front of a room full of her peers. Maitland told the CBC, I began to speak about the culture of fear. I began to share that what is happening in this organization is that employees are having siloed conversations. And Mark Kilberger immediately kind of stepped forward and shut me down. The CBC reported that four former employees who were at the town hall in 2019 confirmed that Maitland spoke up and Mark abruptly ended the conversation. Anonymity. Maitland found support on social media and from a group calling itself Anonymity, which sent an email and petition to We Charities Board of Directors on July 1, 2020. More than a hundred former employees had signed their names to the email, and the organizers wrote that another 50 current staff had endorsed it, but chose to remain anonymous for fear of retribution. The message said that the signatories had personally witnessed actions against or inaction against Black, Indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC team members, that corroborate many stories of overt racism, trauma from a culture of fear, abuse of power, silencing tactics, and microaggressions. And it criticized the organization for engaging in performative acts by posting anti-racist messaging to its website and tokenizing BIPOC employees. The email presented a list of demands including a public apology from Craig and Mark to BIPOC staff, an active engagement on this issue. It said, you are a new board of directors. You are also our friends, former colleagues, or mentors to many of us who have had careers or affiliations with WE. You have an opportunity and a responsibility as a new board to choose how you will show up today and every day to serve the mission of the organization you represent. The petition was circulated openly on change.org and garnered substantial media and social media attention during the growing CSSG controversy. It generated approximately 1,400 signatures as people from outside the organization viewed and then supported its contents. I was troubled by how many people were signing the original message and online petition, and many board members were surprised 
that the signatories included people we knew personally who had never suggested to us that there might be an issue of racism within the organization. I was particularly interested in what Dalau, as a BIPOC woman, had to say about why the email and petition gained so much traction. The majority of our board members were BIPOC, and the chair was a BIPOC woman, she noted. The majority of our international staff are BIPOC. Most of our work globally for 25 years was about empowering BIPOC communities in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and priority communities at home. But we had an activist staff, and they are passionate about pushing the organization to do more. George Floyd was an important turning point when all organizations firmly move BIPOC issues to the center of discussion. That is a good thing. My own sense is that the petition needs to be understood with that context in mind. I shared Dallal's perspective. In my view, the petition likely struck a chord because of the times we live in. The BLM movement and an increased focus on systemic racism have promoted a concept of allyship. It's not enough anymore to not be racist. We need to be affirmatively anti-racist. Of course, we can't know the motives or aims of everyone who signed the petition, but a later board investigation into the allegations in the petition led me to believe that some may have signed as an act of solidarity and not because they personally had witnessed or been subject to a racially insensitive act. We also can't know whether those who signed the petition had actually heard Maitland's allegations and understood their implications. My interviews and the investigation determined that many people just thought the organization could do better and had sympathy for the concerns Maitland raised. They saw signing the petition as a way to promote better practices, encourage change, and focus attention on this issue. Whatever the reasons, the petition elicited the hope for reaction. To say that the board was concerned would be a profound understatement. The allegations were serious. If we charity was not doing enough to promote diversity and inclusion, that was one thing. If there was merit to the allegations of racism on the part of the co-founders or anyone in executive leadership, that was quite another. I can tell you that I personally would not have stayed on the board one more minute, and Mark most certainly would have been forced to resign. Despite what was happening with the CSSG, the racism issue became the board's top priority. Emergency meetings were called, and I drafted the response to the email, which read in part, the Canadian and U.S. board members received your message and read it with great concern, empathy, and a sense of urgency to address both your demands and the issues identified. Immediate action to address racism is what is called for, and nothing less will do. Our response made clear that the board would work to identify the root causes of the concerns you've raised, evaluate what has been done and not done, and then take necessary action 
after making informed and thoughtful decisions in the best interest of the organization and those it serves. Rest assured that we will be conducting an independent review of these matters without influence from members of WE Management. And the co-founders and WE Management are fully supportive of such independent review. Please be assured that you are heard and seen by the board. Your voices matter enormously and will result in action. On July 2nd, Craig and Mark issued a public apology to Maitland and all current and former BIPOC staff, acknowledging unconscious bias and the harm that had been done by systemic racism within the organization. You shared in your video that the words of your speech were altered. Mark also noted in a posting to his social media accounts on July 4th. It simply should not have happened. You spoke about the importance of having black voices and having people of different lived experiences at the table. Your explanation deepened our understanding about the true power of diversity. Two days later, we Charity released an action plan to tackle systemic racism within the organization. This included hiring a BIPOC educator to assist with diversity and inclusion reform and establishing mandatory training on these issues for all staff. Amarel Saunders Endow, an equity expert with a respected human resources firm, Knightsbridge, was contracted to lead a process that would create a safe and confidential space for staff to share their thoughts and concerns. These were all good initiatives and a positive step forward, but they were happening at the executive level of the organization. My personal feeling was that we as a board had to independently take action as well. The anonymity letter was addressed to us, and we had oversight responsibility. Because I conduct sensitive internal investigations for a living, other board members turned to me for advice on how best to proceed. At their request, I took the lead and guided our strategy. The board appointed a special committee consisting of Kanan Arsarathanam, Jerry Connolly, and me to oversee an independent investigation. The actual investigative work would be handled by external professionals who were themselves people of color. They would act at the direction of and report to the special committee. The WE management team, and more specifically the Kilbergers, would have no say in or influence over this investigation. They agreed to cooperate fully and do whatever they were asked by the committee and its investigative team. The board hired McCarthy Tetral, LLP, a leading national law firm whose specialties include labor and employment law, to conduct the investigation. Their team consisted of two South Asian men, an indigenous woman, and a black woman. To eliminate overlap, the listening tour being conducted by Saunders Indahl was rolled into the investigation. 
and she was retained by McCarthy Tetrault instead of We Charity. While all this was being organized, the demands of the anonymity group grew. In a July 6 email to the board, the group's as-yet-undisclosed spokesperson stated that public accountability was very important to the group, and it wanted to know the board's plan for communicating what actions had been taken. The email also asked for free services, including counseling for current and former We Charity employees impacted by racial transgressions. And it demanded the resignation of Mark Kilberger. The next day, another email from the same anonymous address advised that the group was handing over control of its affairs to three former We Charity employees, Amanda Maitland, Rhea Carey, and Talitha Tolles, and that they would handle communications with the board and the group of petitioners going forward. The investigation was announced in a public statement from the board issued on July 23rd. The board of directors has carefully reflected on the experiences shared by We Charity's current and former employees and other stakeholders in recent days, the statement read. We hear you. We take your concerns seriously. That's why we've struck a special committee of independent directors who have retained independent professionals to conduct a review of concerns expressed about systemic and direct discrimination. In the coming days, we will provide employees and former employees with the opportunity to contact the review team to share their experiences. To ensure transparency, we will share with you our lessons learned from the review. The board wholeheartedly agrees with the sentiment expressed by some of you. We are stronger together. The investigation proceeded for the next several months. All current and former staff were encouraged to share their thoughts and concerns with the investigators and were assured of confidentiality in the final report. The investigators also committed to using anti-oppressive and trauma-informed best practices as they conducted their interviews. In the end, the team spoke with 29 people. Eight were BIPOC and 11 had signed the original letter. Amanda Maitland did not respond to any of the numerous messages that were sent to her. The other two identified representatives of the anonymity group declined to participate unless they were paid to do so. One of them asked for $1,500 an hour. The special committee decided that it would not be appropriate to compensate fact witnesses and refused. Special Committee Findings On December 16th, after extensive consultation with the investigative team, the Special Committee delivered its findings in the form of a written report. It was published on the WE website. The review did not identify any evidence of overt acts of racism, the report stated. On a systemic level, the committee concluded that while We Charity's policies on harassment and discrimination were adequate, its systems for ensuring equity, diversity, and inclusion 
EDI were not. There was no specific focus on EDI in WE's employment policies, and the organization did not sufficiently examine its actions through an EDI lens, leading to practices that staff felt were tokenistic or culturally insensitive. WE was also found to be lacking in training, resources, and support for addressing EDI issues and challenges. The report also addressed the specific allegations by Amanda Maitland. The committee found that her speech had indeed been revised without her consent, something that was never in dispute. Although it was standard practice for the WE School senior team to review and edit all school tour speeches to ensure the content was age-appropriate and aligned with the relevant curriculum, the committee concluded that there should have been a distinct system of review for speeches about racism. The organization needed to do a better job of ensuring that BIPOC employees felt heard and empowered. Because Maitland had not raised her concerns about the edits at the time, the report highlighted that we needed to make sure it fostered a culture in which BIPOC employees like her are comfortable raising concerns. A woman of color should not have been told to adjust a speech about her own lived experiences by managers who did not share those experiences. The report noted, due to the power dynamics of her position and an insufficient awareness of how to recognize and address EDI issues at WE, the revisions to Ms. Maitland's speech became permanent even though Ms. Maitland remained uneasy about them. We senior management have acknowledged that, in hindsight, given the nature of Ms. Maitland's speech, comments should have been made through an EDI lens. To consider Maitland's charge, that she had been completely shut down in an instant by Mark at the 2019 town hall meeting, the investigation team studied the transcript. Town hall meetings with staff were typically recorded so discussions could be shared with employees who had other commitments or worked in other time zones. The investigators found that Maitland did not appear to have been cut off, silenced, or aggressively shut down. There was a dialogue between the two, and Maitland did talk about a culture of fear, as she reported. Mark replied, I mean, fine, and I look, I know you know me, and I'm happy to sit down with you and have that conversation. He stressed that he'd been listening and that he viewed the town hall as an opportunity to continue to listen. Happy to sit down, he repeated. And I also appreciate you. And I've worked so hard, so hard over the last 12 months to protect this organization. Really important work we do in, uh, in building schools, helping kids to leadership training. So I just wanted to say we are listening. If we haven't honestly done it perfectly, and I'm not claiming perfection, I just want to say thank you for your comments, and I can assure you we're listening. Maitland thanked him, but elected not to meet with him 
and she left the organization soon after. Reflecting on that town hall, Mark told me, I'm sorry that she didn't feel heard in that moment. If I came off as impatient or abrupt in any manner, it definitely had nothing to do with Amanda's race or the nature of her concerns. After this event, Mark and others agreed they needed to be more cautious and think about how tone and style could make them seem unwilling to hear other perspectives. I certainly took the lesson to heart in my own professional life. When I read the transcript today, I have to ask myself if it's possible that Mark's tone made Maitland feel unheard. I think it is. I would not have felt that way myself, but it's not important how I feel. What matters is how she felt. Still, the transcript does not support the assertion made in her initial Instagram post that she was belittled by Wee's founder, at Mark Kilberger, for speaking up on the incident. That did not happen. Such allegations come with a level of responsibility because they were so concerning to me as a BIPOC member of the board. I wish Maidlin had agreed to speak with me for this book so I could better understand her experiences. And I wish she had participated in the investigation that she and others demanded, especially because her calls for dialogue and accountability were important and were acted upon. In the end, the committee made three board recommendations. First, we had to make EDI an organizational priority by developing an action plan, hiring HR professionals with EDI competency, and prioritizing the hiring and retention of BIPOC employees. Second, the charity had to revamp its organizational policies to incorporate EDI principles and create a process to address employee concerns and issues. And third, we had to commit to mandatory EDI training for all employees. The message was that it wasn't enough for we charity not to have overt racism. The organization had to strive to be anti-racist and push against the racism that is within all organizations and our society. The co-founders and We Charity Executive Management accepted all of the special committee's findings and pledged to implement the recommended measures. EDI training quickly became a priority. Partnering with the Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion, CCDI, the charity provided all employees with EDI-related webinars and training sessions. And in spring 2021, all employees, including the co-founders, participated in a certification program with the CCDI. Separate from the special committee review, the charity also launched in fall 2020 a We Teachers anti-racism module and a We Embrace anti-racism campaign. The WE Schools team worked with internal and external experts to develop the resources through a trauma-informed lens and with a focus on youth well-being. 
This effort was led by Dr. Kia Darling-Hammond of Stanford University. She was supported by several subject matter experts and teachers from the Los Angeles Unified School District, the University of Dayton, and the DC Arts and Humanities Education Collaborative. At the end of the day, I found it remarkable that none of the key people who raised this issue, including Amanda Maitland and the members of the Anonymity Group, engaged with the results. Yes, there was work to be done by the organization and the board. That much was evident. But what happened to starting the dialogue? What about continuing the conversation? Why were Maitland and other employees who raised concerns and made demands of the organization willing to take part in media interviews, asking to be heard, but not a deliberative process undertaken by the board in good faith? I'm also disappointed by how the media handled the entire affair. Given the climate at the time, I understand why they amplified Maitland's allegations, but they made no room for reaction from BIPOC leaders at the WE organization like Delisle and Dr. J. And of course, the media didn't follow the story through to the end and gave no attention to the special committee's report or the many changes the organization embraced. There were no follow-up articles or evening news reports and not a single journalist even tweeted about the report's findings to correct the public record. Important questions were raised. They were taken seriously and deserved answers. And the answers, to my mind, were also newsworthy. Thank you for listening. You can download more episodes of What We Lost wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about Tafik Rangwala's national bestseller or to buy the book, visit whatwelost.com and discover the real story behind the CSSG controversy.